Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning for all of you who are on location today. Thanks for coming out in the rain to be part of New Spring. We're in a series called Power Up. Today's talk is called Reboot. But you heard Austin a few moments ago talk about when we lift Jesus up, he draws people to him. And I've been talking to our creative team and our worship team. We've been in prayer together about what's going on. And the last uh, week or so, I've just had this sense of this extraordinary thing that God is doing in our church And we're accustomed to seeing God work here, but there's no doubt about it, these last few weeks have been really amazing. And I've been saying to our teams, Power Up is getting ready for revival. The real revival comes in the next series. It's a series about Jesus. If you were here in 2011, I brought a series called Red Letters, and we looked at eight of the sayings of Jesus, and our messages were built around that. Well, here we are in 2020, and we're coming back for the second installment of a Red Letter series, and this one is built on the questions of Jesus. That begins two weeks from this weekend, and it will go all the way through Easter. So with your indulgence, I'd like to just sort of share the sermon bumper, and one of the things you're going to watch with the creative team, you feel like, watch the images, you'll see like different installments of our series depicted here. So here we are. This is uh, Red Letters, the questions coming up. Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. For 33 years, we had the chance to see, to touch, to hear from God in human form. During those 33 years, he challenged both culture and religion. No one had ever talked like him before. Those words are still alive, preserved and read in our Bibles today. These are the most important words in history, and his are the most important questions ever asked. Imagine, if he were here today, what would he ask you? I'm so excited about that series. That starts two weeks from this weekend, and then after that, we go to a series called Untangled, and then this summer, Summer of Love, too. So we've got a whole lot of great days, God willing, coming up here at New Spring. But right now, we're in a series called Power Up, and if you've been with us the first two weeks of the series, you know we've been discussing the importance of God having a power available to us 
that is beyond the powers that our world implements. There's, you know, in our world today, there's the power of new ideas, there's the power of technology, there's the power of personal personality and, and giftedness. I mean, up and down, we could go talking about the different powers of our world, political power. But what we've discovered as we've talked about that is there's such a limit to that. The challenge, though, is for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we are supposed to have invested in us a power that is magnificent, that draws people to God and changes the landscape. Remember we said the power of God tends to show up in a moment of hopelessness and rewrite the story. And we desperately need that. I mean, we need God's power individually with our personal psyches and our personal emotions. All of us who are in families, we need God's power in our family. If you're in a marriage, you need God's power in your marriage. Our dating relationships, same thing. At work, with your friends, all of your communities need to feel God's power. And in the first week, we saw a verse in the book of Ephesians that describes God's power. And there are three Greek words, but I said, even though we probably don't speak Greek, you would recognize those words. The first word is mega. God's power is mega. It just means it's massive. Its, it's scope and its span is so much greater than we can imagine. The second word is dunamis. We get a word dynamite from that. You know when a dynamite explosion happens? There's like raw force. And that's that aspect of God's power, that God can do miracles. God's power is awesome. I've shared with you before my favorite of the three, though, is the third word. And that's the word hyper. And that word means that God's power goes beyond. Work with me for a second. And you don't have to raise your hand or respond physically in any way because I know this could be a little sensitive. But how many of you are dealing with a situation in your life where you have already done everything that's in your power? You've said everything you know to say. You can't say anymore. You've done everything that is physically able to do. You've spent all the money that you can spend. I mean, there is a breakdown in your life somewhere, and you've done everything that you know to do. And maybe that person with whom you have an issue, they've shut you out, and he or she won't talk to you anymore. Well, the beauty of this aspect of God's power, hyper, is that it goes beyond where we get stopped. Uh, when we've said everything we know to say, then God keeps talking. When we do everything we know to do, then God keeps working. When we've, when we've poured out what feels like all the love that we have to give, God keeps loving. So I love this aspect of God's power. I think we desperately need it, especially here in the United States, because you and I live in a culture that's so toxic today with so many issues. We need God's power to go beyond when we get blocked. So that's what we're talking about. And, and we've said there's a word that we're using in this series that we really don't use a whole lot because it got so stretched out of shape in the 20th century church. And that's the word revival. But revival is a good word. It's a Bible word. It means a refreshing. It means a re-energizing. It means a new strength, new ability. And throughout history, going back to the earliest days of the Bible, all the way to modern times, there have been seasons where there has been a revival. Now, through the years, there's been a debate among Christian leaders about what exactly a revival is because there are two things that happen, and they happen so tightly close together that it's kind of hard to separate them. And so this debate among Christian leaders has been like this. There will be one group of people that say revival is what happens in the lives of Christians. When Christians 
begin to experience what God wants them to experience, that's revival. Others would say, no, when we study revivals, one thing is very clear. Many people who don't know Jesus come to faith in Jesus. And they would say, that is what revival is. It's this great evangelistic outpouring of people coming to know Jesus. But what we saw in week one is that really you can't separate those two things because they are tied together inexorably and they are in sequence. When God's people start being God's people, what happens is God's power comes and a lot of people who don't know God come to know God. And we desperately need that in our cities, in our communities, in our states, in our in our nation, and for those of you watching outside the United States, I think you feel as well, you want to see that in your nation as well. But let's talk about the elephant in the phone booth. Here in the United States, there's a breakdown. We feel that. There's a sort of powerlessness on the church. And, and here's the thing. Here's where this stalemate is. And this, I know in most churches you won't hear this, but we've never stayed away from the elephants in the phone booths, Okay. We, we just believe in laying stuff on the line. The stalemate goes like this. Often what happens is people who know Jesus Christ look at the culture and all the wicked things that are going on in our culture, and our statement is those people who don't know Jesus are really wicked. And so we'll talk about they do this, they do that, they have this position, they want this, they want to pass these laws. The people out there who don't know Jesus are really Wicked, And then we have the people who don't know Jesus looking back at us and they're saying, those people who claim to know Jesus, they're a bunch of hypocrites because they say they believe in these things, but when we look at their lives, they don't seem to live the way they say they believe. And so consequently, you got two groups of people lobbing grenades at each other. You got the Christ followers over here saying those people who don't know Jesus are really wicked. And you got the people who don't know Jesus saying those religious people, a bunch of hypocrites. And therein lies the impasse. And there is why we have such powerlessness to see change in our world. Hey, work with me for a second. Which one of those two groups needs to move first? I mean, think about this for just a moment. Think, think it through. You, you, you guys are brilliant. Think this through. Who needs to move first? Do we expect people who don't know Jesus to suddenly behave and think like they know Jesus? I mean, those of us who know Jesus, it's up to us to make the first move. We're the ones who need to step across the line. And if we will, and if we'll start being the people God has called us to be, we will see those people, the light come on for so many of them. That is what happens with revival. And so here's the thing. Let us be clear. Revival will never come in our cities, in our nations, as Christ followers, if all we do is judge people who don't know Jesus. God has not called us to do that. He has called us to be different people. And I will tell you this. You can study any revival, whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, or if it's in the early days of the church, or if it's in the Middle Ages, or if it's in the Reformation, or in the two great revivals of the United States, the Great Awakening, Great Awakening too, the Welsh Revival, the Jesus Movement. There, is, there are two things that you will always see in revival. I mean, you can predict these. They always are there. And without these two things, there is no revival. And it's this. When God's people will confess their sins and when God's people will pray. You will always see that in revival. No revival without it. When that begins to happen, when God's people will confess what's wrong in their lives, our lives, and we begin to pray, then the power of God comes. Remember, Jesus said this to the first church. He said, power from above will come down upon you. 
And folks, New Spring, you're the greatest church I know. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. But the power from God will not come down upon us until we start dealing with what's wrong in our lives. And we begin to pray and ask God for this power. In my brief talk today, suppose there was a book in the Bible, short book, let's say four chapters, a book you could read in 20 minutes. Suppose there was a book in the Bible that was kind of a syllabus or a schematic for revival, where you saw both things, a God follower getting right and a whole bunch of people coming to faith in Jesus. What if there was such a book? Good news, there is. If you go back over to the Old Testament in those strange-sounding books, you know, of these prophets, among those strange-sounding books is a little four-chapter book in the Old Testament called Jonah. Four chapters in Jonah. If you're interested in learning more about it, I've done two series. I think uh, 2008, we did a series called Running, and I think it's 2012, we did a series called Jonah. So if you're interested, you can learn more about it. But here's the thing. I know the moment I get into that, there are going to be skeptics who will say, oh, yeah, I don't believe the book of Jonah because it says Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Not exactly. It says that Jonah was swallowed by some sort of sea creature that God made. So I don't know. Was he swallowed by a great fish? Was he swallowed by a whale? Did God make a submarine? I'm not sure. I just know God made a water taxi for him. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. You know, I have... I have friends who lead evangelical churches, and I hear them say sometimes, you don't have to believe the book of Jonah. Well, we have an issue. Because when Jesus was talking, well, listen to this. Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Whoa. Jesus just tied the most important seminal event in history, his resurrection, to the existence of Jonah. And that's not all he did. He like looks forward into the future, into our times, and he says the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins and the preaching of Jonah. And Jesus said, now someone greater than Jonah is here. So, hey, I did a lot of debate in high school and college, but I'm not prepared to debate Jesus. So, it seems to be a real story. As to exactly what happened underwater, I don't know. I will leave that to God, and we'll all watch it when we get to heaven on videotape. But that's not our focus today. Our focus is on revival. And you're going to see both elements in the story of Jonah. Now I'm going to do something I almost never do. I'm going to file a flight plan with you. I'm going to just tell you what the rest of the sermon is going to be. So don't leave when you hear this. Ordinarily, I'll like unpack it little by little so you'll, you'll stay and listen to the message. But today, I'm just going to tell you, well, there are five sentences in the book of Jonah that the whole book revolves around. So let's look at them, and then we'll break each one down. Here's the first one, Jonah 1.1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, get up and go. That's number one. Number two, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. (laughs) Number three, verse four, but the Lord brought a great storm on the sea. Number four, Jonah saying, I remembered the Lord. And then I love Jonah 3.1. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. There we go, five statements. Everything we're going to study today goes around those five statements. Let's go one, two, three, four, five, and let's unpack them. Here's the first one. Jonah 1.1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. What do you have in verse 1? 
I mean, I know that many of you did not grow up in church, and sometimes you're almost better for that in some aspects, but for those of us who grew up in church, we probably heard an expression, and that expression is what verse 1 is about. It was called the will of God, or sometimes it would be said as God's perfect will. I am convinced that God has a plan for every one of us out here. In other words, God has a perfect plan for our lives, and He shares that plan with us in the Bible. Most everything you and I need to know about how to live life is in the Bible. God's like, this is my optimum. This is my perfect plan for you. He's got stuff in there about relationships, about dating, about marriage, about sex, about money, about work, emotional health, problem solving, on and on and on it goes. God has all kinds of stuff in his Bible about this, Mark, is my plan for your life. Hey, we live in a culture today, and I'm talking about church culture We live in a culture today where we have people who sort of want God in their life, but they also kind of want their own plan. Could I I make a strong and maybe challenging point for us today? Jesus is two things, and you can't have one without the other. He is Savior, and he is Lord. A person cannot say, and I think this is what happens in a lot of church today, A person can't say, I want Jesus to be my savior. I want hell insurance, but I kind of want to run my own life. Can't have Jesus on those terms. Jesus like, sorry, I'm out of here. Because he is savior and Lord. And it'd be like someone saying to me, Mark, uh, I want to be your friend. Now, like Mary Alice, but I hate your kids. I'm sorry. I I am husband and father. So you can't separate those things. And that's what happens when a person says, I want Jesus as my Savior. I don't want to go to hell, but I want to run my own life. And Jesus is like, I'm out of here. I'm Savior and Lord. Show you that. The most well-known verse in the Bible about how to be saved is Romans 10, verse 9. Listen, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord and Savior. So here's what I understand. The moment I invite Jesus Christ into my life, he's got, he's got authority to show me how to live. But I hear that, and someone will say, well, especially anyone who's lived in a really authoritatively abusive life can push back against that and say, I don't know if I want a Lord. But hear me, this is one of the most important things I'll say today. The same love that saves you is the same love that leads you. Jesus will never ask you to do anything that's not for God's glory and your good. So that's what happened. God came along to Jonah and said, Jonah, I've got the plan for you. And if Jonah is accepting Jesus as Lord and understanding the real relationship that we have, he's going to go along with that. Because the Bible says any person who's in Jesus has become a new person. There's one of my favorite stories inside of distant history, so I don't tell it very much because it's hard for most of us to access. If you go back to the late 19th century, the late 1800s, it was a a season where many immigrants poured in from other countries into the United States. And especially into the big cities like Boston, New York, Philadelphia. And in those days, there were what were called Bible clubs. If, if you have an at-work Bible study, your at-work Bible study is an evolution out of these Bible clubs that came along in the late 19th century, but they were kind of quirky because 
these guys and gals that would get together over lunch at work to study the Bible and pray together, they, they did it kind of as teams. You know, they would have like a sweater or something that they would all wear, matching sweaters, and then they would have these kind of quirky nicknames on their sweaters. And, you know, they might be called the, the Lord's Team or the Prayer Timers or the Overcomers or something like that. It was just the way things were back then. But I love the story of this little Bible club that was meeting in downtown New York City. And, and again, like I say, a lot of immigrants were coming into the nation. And there was this immigrant couple that came into their community. And they, they could speak English a little bit, but they couldn't, couldn't write or read English. Anyway, I tell you that for a reason. This Bible club invited, these guys, they invited the man to come join their Bible club. And they brought him to the first session. He had a great time. He, he loved feeling the warmth and camaraderie. And they gave him one of their sweaters. It was a gray sweater. And they gave it to him, and he was so excited about that. But he came home, and he told his wife, he said, there's only one problem. He said, all those guys have red letters on the back of their sweaters. I don't, I don't know what they say, but they all have red letters. And I've got a gray sweater, but mine doesn't have any red letters on it. So he said, I'm going back tomorrow. But he, he said to his wife, I need you to sew some red letters, some words on the back of my sweater. And she's like, I don't know how to write any English words. And he said, I know, but I got to have words on my sweater. So she thought about it. You know, she got her sewing material out and then looked out her window on the tenement where she was. And on the ground floor of a building across the street, there was a meat market and there were some, there were three words in big red letters. And painstakingly, she copied every letter and put those three words on the back of his sweater. He goes to the Bible club the next day, and when he comes home, he's so euphoric, he is bouncing off the walls. He said, I had a wonderful time today, and he said, the guys loved my sweater. They say they're going to take their words off of the sweater and put my words on their sweaters. Because, you see, as she saw that meat market, she saw these three words in big red letters, under new management. And that's what God intends. That's God's perfect will. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh, do a job I've asked for you. This is my plan for your life. That is under new management stuff. Statement two, but Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. That's our story, isn't it? And God comes along to us as God followers and said, this is my plan for you. But we go the opposite direction. Now, I, I have a little bit of sympathy with Jonah because Nineveh was not a good place. Nineveh was, the, at that time, the biggest city in the world and the meanest city in the world. If you study the history of Nineveh, they discovered all kinds of new ways of torturing people. That is what they were known for. In fact, if you were to walk in the front doors of the city of Nineveh, you would be greeted with uh, a monument, which was just a massive pile of skulls and bones. And it was their way of saying, if you're coming into this town, you better not say or do anything that's politically incorrect with us, or you'll wind up here. So if I'm Jonah, it's like, I'm not sure I want to do that. I mean, God had come to Jonah and said, if this place doesn't repent, I'm going to destroy it. And Jonah would like, was like, uh, and that would be a bad thing. Now, when I, when I tell you that Jonah went the opposite direction, you might need a map for this. Jonah, let's just say he's in Jerusalem. He's a Jewish prophet. God says to go to Nineveh. That's in Iraq. It's about 600 miles east. Jonah 
takes off for Spain. Just, just look at this when you, when you get home. Just look at where Iraq, I like, this is pretty close to Mosul. Look at where Mosul, Iraq is, and then look at Spain. And Jonah's like, I'm going to go as far as I can possibly get from what God is telling me to do. And you know what? Some of you are right there today because you know God's perfect plan for your life, and you're a little freaked out about what it might mean if you follow God. So you've gone as far the opposite direction as you can get. Now, this is so important for 2020 Christians. Jonah doesn't exactly say to God, I don't think you have a good plan. Jonah says, I don't think it's right for me. Now, this is a little bit bound up in the meaning of the name Jonah because Jonah means dove. And what do you think about when you think about a dove? Jonah's like, God, if you want somebody to go to Nineveh and confront them with what they're doing, you need somebody like Elijah. I mean, somebody that like calls fire down from heaven. I'm a dove. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. I'm not into confrontation. Your plan is maybe okay, but it's not right for me. Oh, my. American Christians, listen to me. When you look at our nation and where it is and why we're not having impact, it all comes down to that one thing. God followers saying, God, I'm not necessarily against your plan. It's just not right for me. I mean, think about this. Nineveh is going to be destroyed because of its wickedness, but its wickedness is not what's standing between it and revival. What's standing between Nineveh and revival is a God follower who's just saying, God, I don't think your plan, I mean, your plan's fine, but my plan is better. As American Christians, it's real easy for us to look at our culture and say, the problem with America is this bad behavior, that bad behavior, this bad law, that bad law, or what this politician is saying, or what these people are doing. But ladies and gentlemen, history tells us that that's not what's stopping revival in America. What's stopping revival from happening is us saying, God, I have a better idea than you do. Hey, let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus need to die? Well, if you're a Bible student, probably the answer will come back sin. Imagine something for a moment. Let's say you go to work tomorrow, and I show up close to you, and let's just say I'm not a God follower. Let's say I'm an agnostic or an atheist, and I hear you talking about sin, and I ask you, define sin for me. Could you define sin? And if you're like most of us, you would like, okay, well, I got a list here, and this is sin, and this is sin, and this is sin, and this is a really bad sin. This is not a bad, not so bad sin. We would like give out our list of sins, but that's not what sin is. I mean, technically, by extension, I guess that would be factual. Do you know what sin is? 750 years before Jesus was born, God had one of his prophets, Isaiah, to look through the telescopic lens of prophecy as though he were looking at the cross, which is why this incredible chapter, Isaiah 53, It's like you're there at the cross watching Jesus die. And in Isaiah 53, verse 6, God defines sin for us. (laughs) Blue-collar sin, white-collar sin, hell-raising sin, in-church sin, all of it goes back to one thing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. From Adam and Eve to Mark Hoover, that is the definition of sin. I have left God's plan to follow my own. And that's what was wrong with Jonah. Jonah, he heard God's perfect will, but Jonah said, I'm going to get a ticket for Spain. Hmm. I have a vivid imagination. Do you like see him sailing out of the harbor? 
Because I don't think he knows what's going to happen. I mean, he's flipping God off. So is God just going to nuke him on the spot and make a brown spot there? No. He gets on the ship in soft breezes. Or, you know, or, you know there in the seawater is placid and the salt water in his nose. And Jonah like gets on the boat and he's like, I'm going to go find a hammock or a bed. And he goes down into the inner part of the ship and he finds a hammock and he goes to sleep. And the last thing he thinks before sleep comes to his eyes is, I'm getting by with this. It's not so bad. I mean, I was told that it's not going to end well, but it sure looks like it's going okay to me. I want to tell you something. In 35 years of being your pastor, one of the things that's blown my mind is when people basically decide to go against God. It's like God doesn't initially respond. It's like he's giving a space to turn around. But so many people misinterpret that space. It's like, hey, it's going to work for me. I especially have watched this when it comes to people who are breaking up marriages and homes. You know, there's this guy that's leaving his wife and kids to chase after somebody else. And when I tell him this is not going to end well, it's like, hey, I'm doing fine. I had one guy tell me, and I love this guy. He's a dear friend, but he really blew up his life. And here's what he said to me. He said, Mark, don't worry about me. God has my back. I'm like, he may be painting a target on your back, but... God has my back? Where does all this moronic stuff come from? It, it comes from a culture that says, God, I know you have a plan, but I have a better plan. And Jonah's like, this is going to be just fine. Statement number three. But the Lord brought a great storm on the sea. Now, I want to be really quick to make a point because not all storms are because we're running from God. They're just storms in life that can happen to the very best people. But in this situation, and by the way, I don't have time to develop this. I think when we get in one of those kinds of storms, God makes it clear to us that's why we're in a storm. We're running from him. So the Bible tells us that God hurls this great storm in the situation. And this is no normal storm. Because the mariners on Jonah's ship, they're accustomed to this sea route leaving Israel and headed over towards Spain. And they get out in this storm. Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. And these guys are pagans. They're not God followers. They all start praying to their gods. They're false gods. And nothing's changing. And so they like throw dice to see who's guilty. And the dice kind of falls on Jonah. And someone says, where is that Hebrew guy? And it's like, well, he's down asleep. And they say, asleep, get him up and tell him to pray to his God. So they get Jonah up, and Jonah like has to like come face to face with his bad decision. And Jonah's like, I need to explain something to you guys. I am a Hebrew, and I follow the God who made the land and the sea, and I've been running from my God, and that's the reason for the storm. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this or not, but if you're a God follower, it is, there's nothing more embarrassing to be confronted by somebody who's not. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you went down to that New Spring Church over there. And you would do something like this? You would say something like this? I thought you were a Christian. That's what's happening to Jonah. Because the sailors say to him, oh, why did you do this? And Jonah's like, well, I, I don't know. But he said, here's the thing. Listen, it's me. I'm causing this. And if you want to get rid of the storm, just throw me overboard. Oh, my. As a God follower, have you ever run from God and you thought it's over? God said, go. I said, no, and the storm's right in my pink slip. Jonah said, just, just kill me. Just throw me overboard. And they don't want to do it. And they're rowing real hard trying to get to the land, but they can't get to the land. And finally, 
these mariners do the most interesting thing. They begin to pray to Jonah's God. Read it in chapter 1. It's exactly what the Bible says. They start praying to Jehovah God saying, Lord, please don't hold us accountable for this man's death. It's true. So they're like, okay. He said, throw him overboard. So one guy grabs his hands, one guy grabs his feet, and they're swinging him back and forth and back and forth. Jonah's flying over the side of the boat. I, I hope God keeps this on videotape because just as Jonah is falling backwards into the water, freeze frame it right before he hits the water. If you're Jonah, what are you thinking? Hey, Nineveh doesn't sound half bad. <laughs> no, I think that, that plan that God had is better than I thought it was. But it's too late for me. Splash. And Jonah's like, I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, go. Like I said, I don't know. Was it a fish? Was it a whale? Was it a submarine? I don't know. Water taxi. That's all I know. God's got to get him back to Iraq. This is the fourth statement. This is in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah said, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Well, that, when we run from God, what do we forget? We forget God. I'm too busy doing what I want to do. And Jonah's like, okay, in whatever it was that he was in, it was like, all of a sudden, I remember God. I've been there. I've been there. I've been so, forgive the expression, hell-bent to do my own thing. I forgot about God. And then when the storm came, I remember God. There's another line in this chapter that I think you and I should pay attention to. It says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. New Springers, some places are just easier to pray from. Yeah. If you don't have any problems today and you've got plenty of money and everybody loves you and you're just, you know, coasting through life, you may have to, have, you may have to find time to pray. In fact, it may be a challenge to find time. If everything's going great, it may be a challenge for you to remember to pray. But if life has taught me anything, life has taught me there are certain places where it's easier to pray. Emergency rooms, layoff notice boards, biopsy delays, waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah. Strange, isn't it? Those of us who don't have time to pray, there are just some places, there are some, there are some whale's bellies that are just easier to pray from. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are really, like, like the church lady on the old Saturday Night Live, there, there are these kinds of Christians who will say, well, you know what? He was just praying because he got into trouble, and he should have listened to God. And if he'd have listened to God, God would have heard him. But now, now he gets interested in God. Stuff, and we even have expressions for it, like jailhouse prayers and 11th hour prayers. And, and, and there are those judgmental people that will say, well, God's not going to hear her now after what she's done. That's why I love Jonah too. And I want to read this out of the message today because Jonah says, in trouble, in deep trouble, I prayed to God. He answered me. You know, someone could say, well, Mark, I'm in deep trouble today. Will God listen to my prayer? I should have, did, should have done what he asked me to do, but will he listen to my prayer? Why did God send the storm in the first place? He sent Jonah a storm so Jonah would start praying again. And Jonah said, I prayed, and you heard me. From the belly of the grave I cried, help, which sometimes help is a great prayer. And you heard my cry. 
He goes on to say, I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. You pulled me up from that grave alive, oh God. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayers got through to you. I like it, made it all the way to your holy temple. And then he goes on to talk about idolatry. He said, those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love. But I'm worshiping you, God. I'm calling out in thanksgiving. And look at this line. He said, and I'll do what I promise to do. I'm going to talk to all of you who are new springers, and I guess all of us who are watching today. When you were going through a difficult time, did you promise God something? And you got a promise sitting in your queue? You got a promise in your shopping basket? You never acted on it, it's just there. I'm like, I promised God I would do this. But like, you know what? When everything sort of resolved, I sort of forgot about the promise. And and Jonah said, God, I'm going to like execute that shopping basket. I'll do what I promised to do. Well, when you and I look at our families and our nation and just look at what's going on today, it's easy to feel that maybe it's too late. In week one, I quoted this old lyric from this old song that I heard when I was a kid, and a lot of you really loved it because I saw you repost it and share it. It's the line, O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival, start the work in me. Is there anybody here today and you feel like, that would be great, but God can't start a revival in me? I've made too many bad turns, made too many bad choices, slept with too many of the wrong people, I left God's past to follow my own, but God can't start a revival in me. Don't you think Jonah felt that way? Don't you think when he hit the water, he thought God can never do anything with me anymore? When I was walking you through the five lines, I said something about the fifth one. I said, this is one of my favorite places in the Bible. The Bible says that when Jonah prayed, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. God came back again. Now, by the way, notice that when God came back the second time, he still had the same thing he said the first time. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. I want to go to a tender place because I've lived this so many times in my life. Listen, guys, I'm not some kind of spiritual rock star telling you how to live. I'm I'm a God follower just like you with good days and bad days. It just so happens this is my assignment. There are seasons in my life when I'm very close to God, but then there are seasons when I get a little cool spiritually and I start kind of doing what I want to do and thinking how I want to think. And and what I've noticed is that after that, sometimes there are seasons where God draws me back and God begins to make me very effective again, just keeping it real. In any of those times when I turn around and God begins to make me effective, it's almost like I could personalize the next four words. And and it's going to say Jonah, but I can put my name in there. I mean, the Bible says this time Jonah obeyed. Well, I could just as easily put this time Mark obeyed. This time Mark didn't have a better plan. This time Mark was willing to hear what God had to say. Listen, guys, in every season of my life where God has made me extraordinarily effective, you could take those four words and write the beginning of the story this time, this time. Mark obeyed. Well, what happened when Jonah obeyed? 
Let's just read it real fast. The Lord's command went to Nineveh, a city so large, three days took to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he said to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least. They declared a fast, put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, which is what happens when a person gets saved. He stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes and led this city with 120,000 kids into a, an evangelistic revival. Do you see why I started the message where I started the message? When a revival happens, God's people get things right, like Jonah, and then a bunch of people come to faith. Two thoughts and I'm finished. Just two simple thoughts this message is about. You have no idea what God wants to do to change the world through you. You have no idea. Now, I was born at night, but not last night, so I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking, Mark, if I was a pastor like you, I mean, if I was going to go train hundreds of pastors like I'm going next week, you know, if, if I were you, then maybe God could change the world through me. You know the greatest Christ follower I've ever known? I have known thousands of pastors, but this guy wasn't a pastor. I've known thousands of church leaders, but this guy wasn't a church leader. He was an electrician in our city. I mean, I, I never saw anybody share Jesus like this guy. I mean, here in the city of Wichita years ago, when he was putting, installing electrical stuff in people's houses, he would share Jesus. When Bob died, there were probably 250, 300 people at his funeral. I said, if Bob led you to Jesus, would you stand up? In a crowd that small, over 50 people stood up and said, Bob led me to Jesus. The greatest person I've ever known was an electrician. You and I have no idea how much God could do through you. You have no idea how great God's power is in your life. Here's the second thought, and that is that God is in second chances. For all of you who hear this talk and you say, I'm just too far away from God, God is into second chances and 25th chances and 300th chances and 5,000th chances. Our God is all about restart. God is about reboot. And so today, I lay this challenge before this great church in the reminder of what's standing between us and America turning around is not those outside, but those of us inside the family of God to take the first move. Let's pray. God, would you search our hearts today? Search mine. Lord, if there's any element of my life where I'm stubbornly insisting on doing my own will at the expense of following Jesus, please help me to lay that at the cross of Jesus today. Oh God, we crave the power that you have to Come into our hopelessness and rewrite the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay with me just a few more minutes, uh, maybe two or three, okay? In every one of these services, we've seen so many people accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you say, I don't know for sure if I have a relationship with God, I need to let you know it doesn't come down to what you do or don't do. Because you and I can never be good enough to get into heaven. God has a deal on the table, and it's in effect today. And the deal goes like this. We're all sinners. We've all gone our own way. But Jesus came into our world and he did something interesting. Any of you guys play, you don't even have to raise your hand, but any of you guys play baseball or softball? If you do, you know what it's like to have a pinch hitter or a pinch runner. 
And what Jesus did when he came into our world is he pinch hit for us and he pinch ran. He lived a perfect life that we can't live and then he did, he inverted it. He laid that perfect life down on the cross and he took our penalty so that he could trade us his perfect life. That's why it's a gift. And scripture has said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's why every weekend at New Spring in all of our services, we like to end this way. If you're here today and you're not sure that you have a relationship with God, you can deal with that right now because our God is in the second chances and he's ready to hear from you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These are simple words. that I'm going to pray these phrases slowly because the important thing is what you mean, not what your mouth says, but what you mean. And if you decide you want to say these things to God, you can own it personally and you pray with me. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I have left your paths to go down mine. But my paths don't end well. And I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. Help me to follow him. Thank you for adopting me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hang on, just another second or so. If you just pray with me, I have a gift for you. And it's a box. There's a little book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. It's way better if I hold it right side up. There's a Bible just like I preach from and some other cool stuff. It won't cost you anything. Nobody will hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number. All you got to do is just go to any info center. You'll notice them because they're all kind of in this coloration. All you got to do is say, I pray with Mark. We want to take your first steps with you when following Jesus. Thanks for being here. We'll talk about revival again next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.